I'm Cynthia Murphy. And I'm Georgia Bowers. And this is Delete My Browser History. Welcome back. Welcome. Here we are again. I know. Um, There was something that I wanted to say last time, and I can't remember what it was. There was some kind of news that we hadn't covered. Some news? Uh, I can't remember. Oh, is it maybe that we are having a little crossover in November? Oh, well, it wasn't, but it can be. Um, So this episode will be out. This one will be out after, actually, our first crossover. So we've got two crossover episodes this month instead of minisodes. So they're a bit longer and they're with... um, Tales Point Horror Book Club, which you'll have already heard. And then we've got one coming up with real life ghost stories that we've just recorded. And I think Belly laughed all the way through because yeah. Emma was just hilarious. Yeah. Um, so keep your eye out for that one because it was just it was just brilliant. Um yeah, that wasn't the news that I was thinking of, but if it pops in my head, I'll just interrupt myself. I've got a really weird one this week. Oh, that doesn't sound like you, Cynthia. But it's it's weird because it's not that weird. It's okay. So I was listening to My Favourite Murder, which is one of my favourite podcasts, and they did this Halloween episode. And one of the hosts, called Georgia, actually, did um, about the weird things that Victorian people used to do with mummies. Oh, I had known about most of it. Victorian people were weird and they used to crush up mummies and eat them in medicine and all sorts of stuff. But what I didn't realise they also did was um, painted with mummies. And as soon as I heard it, it triggered off this idea of, oh, what if someone had like a haunted painting because it had been painted with human remains and it wasn't until the painting was like found out. So it just triggered off this little idea. So I went and had a bit of a look into it and then it turned into this weird beast all of its own. And I did my most wholesome Google search ever, which is what are the names of crayon colours? Because I really wanted them to have one that had like a really like horrible name that they didn't realise and be able to go, ha, but they yeah. didn't. Yeah. No, they've got a good look. Oh. Uh, so anyway, I'm going to start off with uh, Mummy Brown. So it was also known as Egyptian Brown and it was a paint. So it started in around the 16th and 17th centuries, of course, in Europe. And it's when people were starting to kind of find... Egyptian remains and things like that and people were out doing you know they were basically tomb robbing weren't they but all in the guise of archaeology so they used mummies for all sorts of weird stuff people took medicine uh they they had like a like for like rule so if you had a toothache you might take oh yeah of a ground up tooth that kind of thing yeah they would use white pitch myrrh and Egyptian mummies and then it said on wikipedia both feline and human because Egyptians mummified cats, didn't they? And um, they ground them up. And apparently they also used to be some um, Guanche mummies and they were the native people of the Canary Islands. And some of those were used as well. Now, I've never heard of those people and it's probably because of this. Because I've been to the Canary mm-hmm. Islands loads of times and I've never, never <laughs> like, you know, so white people. Um 
So it was used because it had very good transparency. It could be layered. Um, apparently, it was particularly good for flesh-like tones, which is ironic. Mm. But because it was mixed in different amounts and different mummies were used, so different bodies were used, the the makeup of it was always slightly different. So if it was done wrong, it would crack. The content in it, there would be ammonia and obviously fat particles from the human body mm. element, and that would affect the colour and it would affect the texture of the paint. I'm just reading this out loud and thinking how I said this wasn't a weird one, and it really is. That's what I was just going through my mind, because this is really, really (laughs) weird. And I'm thinking, what possessed the Victorians to think that this was a good idea? Well, this is earlier, so this is from like 16th, 17th century. So what happened in Victorian times is it became so popular that demand outstripped supply, and there weren't enough mummies. They ran out of mummies. Ran out oh, of them. mummies, though? <laughs> because they were grinding them up and, like, eating the hearts <laughs> and all sorts of shite. So oh. there weren't enough mummies. Um, so sometimes they substituted the corpses of slaves or criminals. So sometimes oh. they made a mummy, like they would dry out a person and wrap it up and... Ugh. So apparently this paint fell from popularity in the late 19th century, so like end of kind of Victorian era, uh, mm. due to the realisation of what was in there. So apparently it was never advertised what they were actually using. Painters didn't know that mummy or Egyptian brown actually had mummies in it. Um, oh, apparently, like the horse meat scandal. Yes. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so all these artists are like, no. Well, listen to this. So Rudyard Kipling in the 1860s was hanging out with an artist called Edward Byrne Jones, who had used it in many, many paintings. And when they found out what was in it, Edward Byrne Jones went and got his last tube of mummy brown and ceremonially buried it in his back garden really yeah because it was human remains and he said you know it should be treated with respect so i think that's a bit of a rudyard kipling wrote about it but obviously no like evidence apart from that um Mm. but you can imagine a bunch of artists and writers doing something like that can't you yeah so by the start of the 20th century it had largely ceased production not fully it was still being made until like the 60s. And you can still buy Mummy Brown, but now it doesn't have mummies in it. That's why I looked at the yeah, crayons because I was hoping oh, that like, there was a crayon called Mummy Brown or something and it was a bit of a leftover. So then I was looking up like, okay, so what paintings was it used in? And there's not, you, there's no like concrete, you can't really tell. National Geographic said that Liberty Leading the People, which hangs in the Louvre, it's that one of the the woman with the massive French flag standing on top of all the soldiers. Oh, yeah. Revolution. And she's got her boobs out. I don't know why. Is that freedom? Like, (laughs) So that was possibly painted with mummy brown because the artist was known to have used it. And it does have a lot of brown in it and it's very, very layered. So that possibly has some. They have tested stuff. But it's almost scientifically impossible to tell because it was in such small quantities in the actual paint itself. It was mixed with other things that it would just show up as maybe a trace human DNA. But the artist chewing on a 
paintbrush or mm. on a canvas or you know they would show up the same kind of trace dna so there's no real way to tell i had a look on ripley's believe it or not and that said production ended in the mid-1960s because they ran out the manager of um a famous paint company c robertson told time magazine so this is like a really mainstream magazine we might have a few odd limbs lying around somewhere but not enough to make any more paint <laughs> like <laughs> just but then i had a look on ebay so you can buy bits of mummy brown and like these old tubes of paint but my favorite listing was mummy pigment ground egyptian mummy blamed for cholera outbreak in the 1850s like why would you buy that tube of paint i mean and what do you expect and it was really expensive there is another painting called interior of the kitchen by martin drolling from 1815 that is rumored to be painted in mummy brown and it is like just loads of different shades of brown in this picture but apparently not Egyptian mummies. Apparently he used the remains of French kings that had been disinterred from the Royal Abbey of St. Denis in Paris. So that's not proven, but I kept coming across that story that he had ground up like French kings and made his own mummy brown paint. So that was all I found on mummy brown, but then it sent me down this weird rabbit hole of other weird pigments. (laughs) Such a weird one. So I went on listfirst.com, which might be my new favourite website because it's just lists of stuff. And I found an article called 10 Pigments with Colourful Histories. So 10, Tyrian Purple. It was a highly sought after purple. It was Imperial Royal, known as Imperial Purple. So purple used to be a royal colour, only like the emperors in Rome were allowed to wear it. It was really hard to produce and it was rare. It was made out of millions of crushed shellfish left in the sun and it stank. 10,000 mollusks, so like 10,000 little mussels or whatever, mm. would produce one gram of dye. Crikey! You can imagine the poor little <gasps> slaves who had to make <gasps> So mainly for royalty. So King Ptolemy wore it to visit Caligula, who was notoriously like insane. Um, and Caligula yeah. took it as a challenge because King Ptolemy's robes were more purple than his, and he sentenced him to death. So there we go. Uh, Number nine is uranium. Uranium is a source of energy in nuclear reactors and atomic bombs these days, but it used to be used to make really pretty green glass. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think I've read about this. Well, so uranium was used in glass and stuff, and somewhere it said it gave an unsettling green tint. I thought that was a really good description of that, like, sicky Mm. green colour. It was used in pigment from the first century because it's been found in the floor tiles of a Roman villa. So uranium, to make uranium, you produce radium. So that might be what you've heard of because you had the radium girls and they were the girls that... So radium was seen as an impurity, but radium glowed in the dark. So again, that sickly green colour, but that glow in the dark green was radium. And the radium girls were girls who worked in factories and they would paint like clock faces. Oh, on the clock. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And the little clock hands. Mm. But they used to lick their paintbrushes to get a really fine point and then do it. Mm. And they all were really, really sick and died and mm. it, like, bits mm. of their jaws fell off and stuff. So a lot of uranium had to be made to make radium. So then the uranium was just used to produce glass and used as a dye and stuff like that. Mm. Number eight was Han Purple or Han Blue, it's sometimes called. That was created by ancient Chinese 
culture 2.5 thousand years ago. It was used in murals. It was on the terracotta warriors, which is amazing because when we see them, they're just they're plain. But obviously, thousands of years ago, they would have been painted. It's just worn yeah. off. And it was used to make glass. They stopped using it in the 3rd century AD and it was completely forgotten about until the 1990s. It had to be heated to a thousand degrees Celsius. So it was thought it was a byproduct of glass manufacture. So the ancient Chinese were making glass that long ago Mm -hmm. and then getting this kind of colouring. And now apparently when it's cooled to just above zero degrees celsius and you put a magnetic field on it it becomes a superconductor because it's got lead and copper in there wow number seven cochineal which you've probably heard of or carmine or natural Mm. red four they're tiny insects that live on a variety of cactus in mexico and when the good old europeans got to mexico ruined everything uh, they were like, oh, Mexican people have better red dye than us, so we want it. So cochineal became really highly sought after across the world because it produced this like striking red dye. So it's the female bugs feed on berries and they produce this intense red chemical. So they get harvested from the cacti. They get rolled around on a wooden board enough to kill them, but without crushing them or damaging them. Right. Then they're left to dry out in the sun and then they are squished. Um mm. 70,000 insects make a pound of colour. So it's just like, it's insane. God, you'd just be so desperate to have some colour. Yeah. Well, still sometimes used in food and drink. Yeah. And it used to be really famous in lipstick. Mm. Apparently, Starbucks stopped using it in 2012. Gosh. Crazy. I mean, it's natural. It's just not very nice. Yeah. Isn't it um, pink marshmallows? use something oh, I don't like know. that to make the pink colour. Oh, I don't know. Mm. Oh, I don't know. I'm going to have to like go and have a look on packets next time Yeah, go shopping. <laughs> okay, we're nearly halfway through. <laughs> so number six, Shields Green, which is my favourite. Um, it's made from copper and arsenic and it was this really popular green and it used to be like used to be made in dresses and the seamstresses would get all open sores on the hands and not know why and then the women wearing it would become really ill and not know why so popular in the 19th century again so the victorians um it was in wallpaper clothes food it was just everywhere and it was this really striking green and there was the whole trend for having the outdoors inside so like think william morris wallpaper Mm. so the dye was really popular because that it was used on wallpaper it made people sick So workers inhaled arsenic dust or got it on their hands and became ill, caused open sores or chronic arsenic poisoning. So it could be very mild, depending how much you handled it. Or chronic arsenic poisoning, um, it would cause you to have like a fit where it was like your back was going to break. So, you know, Mm. your body would go in a weird kind of position and you would all seize up and really, really horrible. Oh, gosh. People had deadly rooms because people would have it in the fabric in the curtains. They would have it on the wallpaper. Mm. And if the room got damp, little mushrooms would grow. Fungi would grow on the wallpaper, but it was like arsenic mushrooms. Oh, my (laughs) goodness. They produced arsene gas. So (sighs) the whole room was just completely deadly. And it's thought that it's possibly what Napoleon died of. 
Oh, okay. No, I was going to say, because if you like start to feel a little bit under the weather, you just like go off to bed, don't you? And then basically you're just shutting yourself into this room of death. Yeah, exactly. Or you make yourself feel better by putting your nice green dress on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, a bit of lipstick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Napoleon thought he was being poisoned by the British because he was mm. quarantined, wasn't he, onto an island. He was like sent away. But he had green arsenic wallpaper. So it's possible right. that he could have died of arsenic poisoning. Yeah. I think it says in the article, like, he could have been right. The British did kill him, but not the way he thought. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Then this is a good one. So number five is Vanta Black. Have you heard of Vanta Black? No. It is the darkest man-made substance known to man. And when you Google it, you see a picture of Vanta Black. If someone's painted with it, it's like it's not real. So you know when if I sent you a photo with my face scribbled out in black, it would have that weird 2D quality. Yeah. yeah. That's what it looks like. It looks 2D because it is not a pigment, so you can't paint with it i don't know you must be able to paint with it but it's been created by aligning nanotubes on a surface so all light hitting it is absorbed so basically whatever makeup it absorbs all of the light so Mm. it doesn't reflect anything and it's just bonkers and there's a british artist called anish kapoor and he owns the exclusive rights to using vanta black in artwork he will not let anybody else use it it pissed everybody off. And there is this, I've not written his name down, but I watched his Facebook video. And there's this English artist who is like constantly ranting that it's un- it's unfair. Like why does Anish Kapoor get to keep all of this Fanta Black? Like art is for everybody. So he made the world's pinkest pink. And when you go on this guy, because he's all, also made the world's glitteriest glitter, which I really want some of that. I know. Uh, <laughs> He's got this website and you go on and when you try and add it to the car, a thing pops up at the bottom that says, I promise I am not Anish Kapoor and I will not be giving this to Anish Kapoor to use. And he's like, you can't have it. And apparently (laughs) when Anish Kapoor finally got hold of this thing of pink is pink, he, um, well, I've seen the picture, he dipped his middle finger in it and posted a photograph. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the best beef ever. So brilliant. And he posted it on his Instagram, but I couldn't find it on his Instagram, but I did find it online. Right, I'll go quick. Number four, dragon's blood. So a red coloured resin that some plants produce when they're damaged. Romans sourced it off the African coast. Um, And when a dragon's blood tree is cut, it looks like it's bleeding and it produces this intense red. There was another thing called cinnabar and ancient Mm. Romans used to get them mixed up. But cinnabar was poisonous and it was a compound that was made with mercury, which is obviously really poisonous. Um, and they could only find out which one was which after eating it, which, of course, if Gosh. you got the wrong one, you would get chronic mercury poisoning. Yeah. Number three is oak gall ink or iron gall ink. So when people used to write on parchment, normal ink wouldn't stick to it because parchment is skin. So it would like lay on the top. So they needed something that yeah. would stick on it. You would have to find an oak tree that had been attacked by parasitic wasps. And I've seen them when I've been walking, like in the autumn, you see an oak leaf and it's got like all these little gold dots on. Have you ever seen them? Mm. They're apparently like little... No, I've never noticed. i look for them. Yeah, have a look. There was a tree mm. near here last year and I've seen them everywhere and then somebody put online what they were and I was like, oh. But this year it hasn't. They lay eggs 
And so if they lay eggs on the tree, it forces the tree to create these bumps where the eggs developed. They're knocked off, powdered down and then left in water. It makes this brown liquid. And when it's mixed with a compound that has iron in it, it creates this black ink that's really sticky and would stick to the part. Oh, wow. But if it's made wrong, it just flakes off. So it was hard because obviously if you've got this like book with all parchment leaves in it and all the ink flakes off, <laughs> there's nothing in there, is there? It's just a blank book. Yeah, you'd be a bit annoyed, wouldn't you, if you'd yeah. written the next bestseller? Or and if they it all was like fell off. this really rare manuscript that like, <laughs> yeah. you know, unlocked the volume manuscript or something and you opened it yeah. and it all just flaked away. Uh, number two was Indian yellow. It was composed of a range of chemicals. So under sunlight, the yellow is luminous. It's a little bit fluorescent, but it has a really unpleasant smell because the source of it is cow urine. So it oh. originated in India in the 15th century. Um, so depending on where in India, because I know for Hindus, like cows are quite sacred, aren't they? So it might be something mm. got to do with that. Maybe. Um, but they would feed cows on a diet of mango leaves. And then they would make them urinate onto special sand. They would let that dry. Then they would collect like the clumps and they would grind them up. And Van Gogh used it in Starry Night. Oh, I love that. I love that painting. I do as well. I, but I'm, it, that's just another um, dimension of the painting now, though. I know. Well, he didn't know what was in it. So it's a bit like Mummy Brown. Nobody, they just used it because it was a great colour. So yeah. once it was investigated, it was banned in the 20th century, mainly because the mango leaves were leaving the cows really unhealthy. So oh. it was an ethical issue. And then number yeah. one, back to the beginning, was Mummy Brown. Wow. So there you go. Really weird bit of... Like... That is really weird. <laughs> really weird. It's just fascinating how people are like oh, let's try doing this to this and yeah. see what colour we get or see what happens or see whether we can eat it. You know, like whoever, you know, saw an egg and was like, you can eat that. Yeah, that's <laughs> it looks so appetising, you know? And like the imperial purple one, like the story was some woman was on the beach with her dog and her dog ran up and its tongue was all purple because it had been eating oh. these mollusks. And that's where they got the idea from. But, but I think they did have dogs in the Roman era, didn't they? Like they had dogs. I think so. Yeah. So that's yeah. Yeah. So. There you go. Yeah, that, that was um yeah, another unexpected one. Yeah, weird. Very interesting. I am talking to you about the night hag. The night hag, sorry. Um that was my Bedford accent, night hag. Um <laughs> yes, the hag who comes to see you in the night time. And I'm fascinated by all of this because I used to get night terrors really badly and I was very interested in like sleep um, disorders and things and thought I might like to work in a sleep clinic until somebody told me you'd have to work nights. And I was like, oh, no, I don't want to do that. I can't remember why I researched this. But anyway, it's just something I've been very interested in. So it's called various things, night hag or old hag syndrome or sleep. It's basically sleep paralysis. Okay. And yeah, sleep paralysis is is a type of para, it's a parasomnia, and parasomnias are a group of sleep disorders that involve unwanted events or experiences that occur while you're falling asleep. This is from the health. This is from Healthline. I found this. Um, sorry, they occur when you're falling asleep, sleeping, or waking up, and so things like sleeping, sleepwalking, night terrors, 
and even something called exploding head syndrome. I know. Where, um, yeah. Yeah. So I'd never heard of it. And it's apparently as sensory sleep starts, people with this condition will hear a, a loud noise or feel an exploding sensation in their head when they wake up. And then they might see an imagined flash or something um, as they wake. So, I mean, and it that's can be, um, like a knock on the door. I've had a few times where I've woke up in the middle of the night because I thought someone was knocking on our bedroom door. Yeah. But when I so learned about that, I was like, I wonder if that's maybe that's what you saw. What it from. is. Yeah. And it's usually painless. And you can get a couple of episodes a night of it. Um also I read about cataplexy. Have you heard of this? No. So cataplexy, it's mostly people who suffer from narcolepsy might experience some cataplexy where you get strong emotions, which like particularly laughter. Um oh. and it results in the sudden loss of muscle strength. So you just like fall asleep. Oh, just, right. So you, yeah, you know, you know how like if you're narcoleptic, you just suddenly like you, you, your muscles all go and you just fall asleep. But yeah. this can be brought on by like laughter. Can you imagine? Oh my God. That'd be awful, wouldn't it? Right. So anyway, so sleep paralysis, which is what we're looking about, looking at is when your mind starts to drift into a waking state, but your some of your muscles are still in that sleep induced state of paralysis. So during just the science behind it, during REM, REM sleep, you're likely to be dreaming and to prevent you from acting out your dreams, your brain releases neurotransmitters that lock down your some of your muscle groups so that obviously you you can't like try and fly or yeah. you know, try and kill someone or or what have you. And the paralysis sometimes prevents you from speaking or calling out. And then as REM sleep wanes, your brain reactivates your muscles. But sometimes the timing of the wake sleep cycle doesn't synchronize properly. So you can be doing that thing where you're kind of in that sort of dream phase, but your body, you can't move. So in that space between waking and sleeping, your mind is alert and your body, but your body can't move. So some of the visual and sort of sometimes auditory um parts of your dreams they'll be acting out in your head and that's when the old hag comes Ooh. creeping into your room so there's been records of this old hag yeah because sometimes why? called called other things um for ages and ages so in 1664 there was a dutch doctor who documented a patient's um sleep paralysis and he said that his patient felt as if as if the devil was lying on her or a great big dog was sitting on her chest and when she tried to throw it off she couldn't move and then there's the painting the nightmare um which is by Henry Fuseli, is my pronouncing that right, which is the young woman sprawled on the bed with a gremlin crouching on top of her. You know that one? It's like a little tiny gremlin. No, I don't. I'll have to send it so you can share it. Um, and so obviously there's it's a sleep paralysis and it's explained by science, but I love this idea that it's actually like a hag or a being or, you know, something which is like sitting on somebody. So... I've got a few examples here of people experiencing sleep paralysis. Um, this is from BuzzFeed. And uh, this person said, I started experiencing sleep paralysis during the exam period of my first year, which was obviously very stressful. And the first time it happened, um, they felt like they were being suffocated and the bed was like swallowing them up. Um, the more I panicked and the faster my pulse and breathing became, the quicker I was disappearing into the bed. Oh. I couldn't move a muscle and my attempts to scream were silent. The second time it happened, I awoke to see a very tall man standing by my doorway, holding something behind his back and moving to me very slowly. Oh. 
nasty. Yeah, nasty. Um, and um, then there's this other person who is that 42 and first had my had my first nightmare about a terrifying witch at the age of 16 and she kneels on my chest and stares into my face getting closer and closer and closer she wears a black cloak and a hood and her face is like a witch and evil generates from her other times she's this person says i think this is worse right i can be lying on my stomach and she will creep her hand up the back of my head Ooh. and then round my face and hook her fingers under Ooh. my top teeth and pull my head back. Isn't that awful? That's Other awful. times she'll bite me or knock on the door or call my name. <sighs> so imagine just lying there completely paralysed while you've got all of this sensation of this woman putting yeah. her hand up your face and pulling your head back. I mean, that is just horrendous. But so many um, people have such similar stories. This is it. I've this is what so makes... grateful I've never experienced it. But... Yeah, yeah. And the, I just think as well that because when you start reading about it and there's like, you know, they call it old hag syndrome or whatever. There's this old hag, there's this old witch, there's this demon, there's this... And it's always the same sort of thing. And I, I, it makes you wonder, you know, they can explain it with science, but is there actually this like supernatural thing that's going around trying to, you know, suffocate people in their sleep or whatever? Um but obviously it's just your 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 mind and your dream state isn't it just coming up with the worst possible thing for you while you can't move which is which is nice or is it that if you're in that vulnerable position and your brain and your body aren't quite working together is that like an easy way for some evil entity yeah. to like sneak in yeah exactly exactly um so we've got a few different names from all around the world and few you know different terminology for sleep paralysis and this old hag syndrome so in scandinavian folklore sleep paralysis is called caused by a mare and the mare is a damned woman who apparently is similar to an incubus or a succubus mm -hmm. uh, and she's cur she's cursed and her body is carried mysteriously when she falls asleep without her noticing and then she visits villagers to sit on their rib cages while they're asleep mm. uh, in newfoundland in canada and in parts of the states they talk about a hag who, who leaves her physical physical body at night and sits on the chest of, of her victims. Uh, in Fiji, the experience is interpreted as Cana Tavero being eaten by a demon. In many cases, the demon can be spirit, can be a spirit of a recently dead relative who's come back to share some um important news or some unfinished business. So that's a little bit different to think that actually it might be a relative who's recently passed away sitting on your rib cage, you know, scaring you to death. That's, that's, I don't know if that's just like, sat there going, I've got something really important <laughs> to sell you. <laughs> oh and you're like, okay, like, Nan, can you just, just, yeah. just write something? <laughs> you know. Oh my God. Um, in Japan, sleep paralysis is explained as a spirit seeking vengeance by suffocating you in your sleep. Oh. Yeah. And in Thailand, it's believed that the sleep paralysis and discomfort is caused by a ghost of the Thai folklore known as Viam, Piam. Um, and people believe, I mean, people think that it actually causes bruises. So some people have got like evidence of being visited by this, by this ghost. Um, in Brazil, the demon, it's called Pisadeira, which is Portuguese for she who steps. It's a she, oh. obviously. Oh, right. 
crone with long fingernails who lurks on rooftops in the night, then walks on the chest of people who sleep belly up on a full stomach. That's oh, what you get oh, right. going to sleep on a full stomach. In Sardinia, this person is similar to the, the demon we were just talking about, the long fingernails. There's an old belief that identifies the cause of sleep paralysis is a demonic being called Amitadorge. I think that's, I'm not pronouncing that right. But the ghoulish creature sits on the chest of the sleeping victim, suffocating him and sometimes ripping the skin with his nails. Mm. I mean, imagine lying there and you think you've got somebody ripping your skin with with its with its talons yeah. it's also believed in some parts of the island that the demon wears seven red caps on its head and if the victim resists the pain and succeeds to steal one of the caps then he'll soon find hidden treasure so got an image if there were demon with like all these baseball caps <laughs> yeah like backwards <laughs> yeah 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 that's weird um they, those team, those ones at the end with the long fingernails reminded me of that episode of Buffy, uh, same time, same place, when Willow comes back to Sunnydale and the, they can't see her and she can't see them. Yes. Do you remember that yeah. one? Yeah. And she's yeah. got that demon yes. and he, he's got, he sits on top of her with his long feet and he peels her and he's like got a kind of, what is it? She they can't feel anything. Salad it, so, aren't they? Yeah. yeah, and I wondered whether the re the writers kind of were inspired by this idea of uh, the old hag and and those demons with the long fingernails. Yeah. But I mean, it, it's just awful. These like reports of what people see when they experience this sleep paralysis. How do you just go about your day after? Oh, that? Like, how I mean, do you, you just go to work? Yeah, when you've had a bad morning and you're just like, oh, feeling a bit, you know. But yeah, oh, I felt like I was being, you know, having my skin peeled off by a demon. You Obviously. just wouldn't want to go to sleep, would you? No. But I found I found one more report of a sleep paralysis, which is slightly um, less negative uh, experience. So I'll just read it. So um, this person who experiences sleep paralysis, it started when they were young and they remember the walls shaking and ringing through through her ears, I'm going to say. It doesn't say whether it's a her, but I'm going to assume it's a her and going through a tunnel. And then it continued into when she was a teenager. This is from BuzzFeed. When she was a teenager and sometimes she'd feel like she was battling entire groups of demons that spoke strange languages so she started to do a bit of research because obviously this was becoming a bit like you know difficult to live with and then she explored lucid dreaming okay. and following my this is this is what she said following my spirit guides until they became unpredictable and began biting me and being evil in general then in my late 20s i discovered that i could have sex with these beings oh. i know you probably think that's disgusting but it would send me to sleep afterwards <laughs> it had the added effect of making the paralysis enjoyable oh okay <laughs> wow she, she found a way to live with it yeah so it's interesting though because just speaking to emma about weird things that people get off on and uh yeah. and like stockholm syndrome again yeah yeah, so you you like live your life with this like horrible demon sitting on your chest, and then it slowly becomes starts to become part of your life and part of your routine until you kind of find that you're in a relationship with it. <laughs> oh God, and, and like, <laughs> how do you explain that to 
somebody that you might be sharing a bed with. Oh, yeah. And then again, you end up on a talk show. I yeah. I want to marry my old hag. But you know what? I bet there's a lot of people out there who have like sleep paralysis who are like, why didn't why didn't that happen yeah. to me? <laughs> yeah. Sounds like it, a much better option. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. That's sleep paralysis and old hag syndrome. I have heard of that because it is just really, really weirdly common. It is. And I think just because people talk about this hag so much, it does make you think that there is. And I feel like I've seen it on TV programs, but I couldn't I couldn't name you any. But I feel like it's it's such a visual image in my head. Yeah. I wonder if Supernatural did an episode. Maybe. You know, I didn't watch much Supernatural. I didn't watch them all, but I they, I wondered whether they maybe. But I know what you mean. I feel like I've seen it on something. Yeah, but yeah, it definitely made me think of that Buffy episode. Yeah, you're right. It was the net because you were trying to explain, it and I was racking my brain for which episode it was going to be. But you're right, the big nasty fingernail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I actually met. I think I met that actor. I think he was one of the conventions that I went to, and he was really nice. Okay. I'm happy to report. Yeah. yeah. They usually are, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, very nice. That's, um, <laughs> I know, yeah, like Mummy Brown. I mean, I'm just I'm I'm just flabbergasted by all of that. I really am. I'm not, which is a bit worrying, but I think I did that much like research. They just did such weird things. Like Yeah. I imagine eating mummy to because it made you feel better. Like it's not, yeah. it's probably yeah. going to kill you. Like think of the disease. And how, I mean, obviously they started making their own ones, but like how many mummies did you come across? Like how many did you find? Could you Apparently, find? There was loads. Apparently there was an abundance of mummies. <laughs> like there was just so many of them and they kept getting discovered. Oh, and then that's why when it got to like the 20th century, they were so sought after and mm. so rare because People had shipped them off and people use them for like fires. It's just like digging up a oh, big graveyard and going, let's bar- just use all this firewood. <laughs> yeah, it, it's barbaric, isn't it? I, just, it's awful to think of, really. Really awful. Yeah, it's not nice. Is anyway, it? so if anybody got haunted by any paintings that they'd, you know, they yeah. deserve it, really. Well, you know what? I just love that idea of like this haunted painting and then you find out it's because it's with like, human remains and and that's yeah why it's haunted i think that'd make a good story yeah definitely and uh, it's probably a good place to end isn't it yes and on that note um <laughs> just a quick reminder before we go if you have been listening and if you do enjoy even any slight bit of it <laughs> please will you uh rate, review, <laughs> and subscribe so if you leave a rating even you can leave like a five star rating if you really want to uh, but a review as well would be great it just has to be short and it just helps to kind of boost us up in the charts and get seen a little bit better and share on your social media is always helpful as well yeah yeah share away okay we will see you okay. next week yeah see you next time Bye. Bye. Browser history deleted.